You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are in La Varone. Perché posso vivere oltretutto è sesto in classifica, non è che sia poi è caduto, poi diciamo che è un protagonista. Andiamo tutti quanti al giro a ti fare pozzo vivo. Qui lo dico e qui lo grido. Viva, viva Pozzo Viva! Brian, buonasera. Buonasera, Daniel. Where are we? We are in Lavarone. Is it the Trecime di Lavarone? No, it's not. It's the... Am I getting mixed up? Yeah, Is you are. Maybe the Trecime di Lavaredo? Yeah, you're being, um, you're being ironic. We are facetious. Facetious, maybe? yeah. So we are not in the Dolomites. But we are we're close to the Dolomites, the Brenta Dolomites, but here we get into subsections of the Dolomites and we get into really murky waters. Okay. Should we start all over again? No, let's I not. Just, let's I carry on. Let's carry on. I feel I like you're on a roll. No, I just can't mention any mountainous geography without being in like straight into corrections. You almost lost me it. to the mountain museum today. Dunce head on. But anyways, yeah, but what most importantly, not you know, regarding the bike race and parts, I guess, is that we're sitting in the evening sun. After a day that started under the rain. I would argue, even more importantly than that, Brian, we were played in by a very old friend of the podcast, Dino Zandegu, winner of the 1967 Tour of Flanders and a famed troubadour of Italian cycling, famed for his appearances on Italian TV, Italian Giro coverage over the years, and for his appearances on the cycling podcast as well. And he's penned some new material this year. Dino's almost 82 years old now, but um, I was very happy to see him at uh, or in La Varone this afternoon. Not the only famous guest that dropped in on us. We'll hear um, about another very illustrious Italian, former Italian cyclist. Um, we'll hear from a former illustrious Italian cyclist later another one but Dino yeah he's got some new songs this year one about as we heard in the intro Domenico Pozzoviva but it didn't really inspire Domenico Pozzoviva did it today unfortunately Pozzoviva lost further time today and well he's sort of spiraling down the general classification that's not the only musical interlude we're going to hear from Dino Zandegu this evening, so stay tuned. There might also be a translation of the lyrics of those Pozzo Vivo lyrics later. But, Brian, was it a good stage today? It was a great mm, entry to the highest level of racing for Buitrago, but I'm, I'd like to see a bit more action in the GCA. I mean, I, and, I, you know, we can both, you and I, between the two of us, deduct why that doesn't happen and why there's still a lot to, of, of Giro where... At least the main rivals can hopefully test each other a bit more. I think the only thing that really happened was Almeida losing time and seeing that he's riding uh, the GC uh, battle a little bit backwards. 
if that's the only thing that's really headlining this stage, I would say, no, it wasn't actually. It was another good one-day race, wasn't it? It was another yeah. good classic. It was a decent battle between the Peloton and the breakaway, although the Peloton didn't get quite as close as it did yesterday. There was no question, really, that the opportunity was there for them to close the gap down and to go for the bonus seconds. The breakaway looked safe to contest the victory from pretty early on. Brian, should we proceed to the tail of the tapper for this evening? I think so. Let's do it, Brian. Stage 17 of the Giro from Ponte di Legno. Wooden bridge, literally. I was asking you earlier whether we might find the wooden bridge, what the wooden bridge might look like. We didn't. I had a we, few uh, ideas of what a wooden yes, bridge might look like. We whizzed straight through the start today. The logistics were quite challenging, so we didn't stop at the start. But the start took place at 12.46 in Ponte di Legno, so it was a, a minute late, was it? Um, the first climb of the day, though not classified, was the Passo del Tonale, and there were various attacks on the Tonale. Um, Santiago Buitrago was one of the first riders to try to get away with 170, 167 kilometers to go, so only one kilometer in, into the race. Chris Hamilton, uh, Lorenzo Fortunato, Lucky Lorenzo, Kern Bauman, the king of the mountains, current king of the mountains, Giulio Ciccone, his big rival, they were all on the move trying to break the elastic, and a rather large group finally did get away on the other side of the Tonale summit. They all came together, featured Bauman, Omen, Van Sevenen, Carthy again on the attack, Pedreiro, um, Covilli, Ravanelli, Attila, of course, how could I forget? Attila Valter, Timon Aronsman, Buitrago had got into the break, and Jan Hit, yesterday's winner, um, David de la Cruz. There were 23 riders in total, and fairly soon it became apparent that the peloton was not too interested in closing down that break. The first Gran Premio de la Montaña was in Jovo after 85.8 kilometers. The Tonale was not classified, as I said. Bauman took the points there ahead of Chicone. Brian, at the other end of the race... Not in the peloton, but behind the peloton. Simon Yates was about to pull out of the Giro d'Italia, which was a surprise to us, wasn't it? Yeah. But then again, when we saw him yesterday, which looked like a, an obvious possibility for him to win another stage, and he would definitely, for me at least, have been the favourite once I saw that group go clear, that, for me at least, gave some kind of indication that he's, he probably wasn't 100%. Uh, I've, I'm not knowing yet the, the the reason why he's going home, but I think it's because he's not feeling well. I think he might still have some problems with his knee. Either way, it's uh, yeah, it's it's been a, a Giro not to forget in that sense. He's won two stages, but he came here with completely different ambitions. Brian, meanwhile, at the front, there were various people trying to clip off and who obviously felt the group, that 23-man group, was too big and had become a bit unwieldy. Uh, Van der Poel got... Um, ahead after the Paso di Giovo and then there was a sort of regrouping um, the next Gran Premio de la Montaña was the Paso del Vetriolo and again Bauman took the points there ahead of his compatriot Geis Lemreiser Van der Poel's third over the top he was climbing well Felix Gao now Felix Gao Austrian rider for AG2R Citroën 
An Austrian rider winning would have been quite apt today, Brian, because Sigmund Freud used to take his holidays here in La Varone. He came here four times with his family at the start of the 20th century. He used to swim in the lake and only swim breaststroke, and he was very careful to keep his beard above the water, apparently. And they're very proud here in La Varone of the fact that... Sigmund Freud used to visit and used to stay on the well, used to stay in the Hotel du Lac on the lake. Apparently, there's a, there's a plaque outside room number 15 where he used to stay. Meanwhile, in the race, well, not too much happened on the Paso de Vetriolo as far as the general classification was concerned. Um, at kilometer 137, Van der Poel and Lemreiser were leading the race, those two on their own, and Buitrago, Gal, Guillaume Martin. Hugh Carthy, Jan Hurt, Kern Bauman and Marie Van Seven were giving chase. Very much the usual suspects there. Then there was more there was more movement, more changes, more riders trying to get back on, more riders getting dropped. Finally, at kilometre 153, the, the final climb of the day, the Monte Rovere um, loomed into certainly Mathieu van der Poel's sightline he was forcing the pace and he was briefly on his own at the head of the race like Fausto Coppi in 1949 but not quite because he didn't quite climb as well as Fausto Coppi in 1949 he was caught by Lemreiser and he would be our leader for quite some time but behind him Santiago Buitrago was pursuing chasing quite hard and looking very good in the GC group, Brian, we'd seen a few, well, we'd seen a couple of different teams take things on. We'd seen Ineos Grenadiers earlier in the day. And then at a certain point on the Monte Rovere, it was Bahrain. While Butrago was was riding hard at the front or just behind Lemreiser, Bahrain were riding hard at the back on the peloton. Yeah, and then we actually saw a little bit of yo-yoing from Walter Pauls. He came and went and came and went and was trying to either launch Landa or up the pace in the favourites group and yeah, it was that arm wrestle that seems to be never ending. And soon enough Butrago would go past Lemreiser um, close to the top of the Monte Rovere climb and in the GC group we were down to the same three who came into the finish more or less together yesterday in Africa. That was Mikael Landa, Jai Hindley and Richard Carapaz. The three tenors really of this Giro d'Italia. Butrago would take the stage and Lemreiser finished second. Jan Hirt was third and well as I said Carapaz and Hindley came in together and Landa actually conceded a few seconds on the run into Lavarone. Meanwhile João Almeida had enjoyed quite a difficult day. He came in 14th place Four minutes and three seconds down, and he conceded his third place on general classification to Mikhail Landa. So we've now got Carapaz leading the race, Hindley three seconds down, as you were there, and then Mikhail Landa is one minute and five down, and Almeida is one minute and 54 down. So he lost to one minute and 10 seconds today. No change on the points competition. Kern Bauman has reinforced his lead on the King of the Mountains competition. Almeida still leads in the white jersey competition. And what else, Brian? Well, what kind of day did Vincenzo Nibali have? I can tell you that on the road, Nibali finished 17th. He lost five minutes and one second to well, the stage winner, Santiago Buitrago. He is now five minutes and 48 seconds down. Wasn't too happy at the finish line, but perhaps he would have been if he had known 
but he was also the inspiration. He is also the inspiration for a fantastic new song by Dino Zandigu. Let's hear a few lines of it now. Nibali, Nibali, Nibali allora, pedala che noi ci Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rights that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Supersapiens. Super Sapiens are our title sponsors, of course, and when I've been using the Super Sapiens system, wearing the sensor on my arm, I've been monitoring the data on the app on my phone. But when you're riding your bike or running, and especially when you're competing, you can't really take your phone out of your pocket to see what your glucose levels are. And so that is where the energy band really comes into its own. It's a relatively recent addition to the Super Sapiens range, but with the energy band, you can see real-time glucose data without having to get your phone out of your pocket. And that's because it's a fitness wearable. It's a wristband with a really clear display, and it will tell you whether your glucose levels are trending up or trending down. And as you become more acquainted with how Super Sapiens works, and especially with how your body responds to food and exercise, you can set optimal fuel ranges, and it will tell you when you are dipping below your optimal fuel range, and that in turn will tell you that you need to take on board some fuel to keep your performance level up. To find out more about Super Sapiens and have a look at the energy band, go to supersapiens.com. Before I hand back to Daniel and Brian, we open nominations for the Giro d'Italia Peddler de Charme Award. The winner will receive a beautiful Stacey Snyder Cup. Nominations have been flooding in. Here are some of the most popular ones. Gianni Savio, Biniam Gamay, Matthew van der Poel for giving Gamay the thumbs up on the day that Gamay won his stage. Vincenzo Nibali, someone's nominated whoever wins the De Ghent GC battle. And currently that's Thomas, who's an hour and 17 minutes clear of Emmy. Roman Bardet, a very popular nominee, although principally for checking on Julian Alaphilippe after his crash at Liège-Bastogne-Liège, although others have pointed out that Bardet deserves the prize for leading out his teammate Alberto Dainese the other day. A couple of people who aren't eligible for the Pedler de Charme are Daniel and I. Very flattering to be nominated. Really appreciate all your comments about our coverage from the Giro, uh, but we're not riding the race, uh, so we're not eligible for the prize. And neither, I'm sad to say, is the fan in the pink jersey and Ineos shorts who Daniel and Brian spotted twerking before, I think, before the start of the stage yesterday. Um, keep your nominations coming on social media or email us, contact at thecyclingpodcast.com, and we will run a poll on Twitter towards the end of the week, probably on the weekend, actually. Now back to Daniel and Brian in Italy. Well, Brian, it was a, a very good day for South American cycling, I would say, Latin American cycling. Stage victory for Santiago Buitarago and a pretty good day, I would say, for Richard Carapaz. And in that light, Brian, we've been joined by a very, very special guest. It's one of the Cycling Podcast family. I should also add Juan Charri, who is a, well, he'll be a familiar voice to anyone who listens to the excellent El, El Cycling Podcast. Juan, you've been following the Giro. I know that you know, well, you know Richard Carapaz very well. You know Santi Buitrago very well. 
Were you surprised to see him... Well, he's been threatening to take a win here at the Giro for a few days, but were you surprised to see him finally get that victory today? Uh, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, really, I don't, you know, because he's a really great talent from Colombia. And the last year, the past year, sorry, uh, he was telling me he will be in the Giro d'Italia past year. So when he was like out he was really sad because he told me that i'm really uh, in the shape to be in the in a grand tour you know and then the finally the the year wasn't great for him but was like a big shock for him uh don't to be convocated uh, for the year last year the past year so in this year he was telling me like man this is my year I found him uh, doing a really no uh, climbing Bogota. We are from Bogota both, and um, in uh, that was in like I, I think in January, and he told me that uh, Charro. He, they they told me Charro, Charro. This is my year because this is my process uh, from three years, three years in a row working hard man working really hard and this is my year obviously um, in the i don't know in the mind of colombian people when a climber when a cyclist says this is my year he uh, the people thought he's gonna be the next nairo quintana or egan bernal but for him and for all the people that we know him very well he's like that winning a grand tour stage is big goal and for me is too you know so it's not surprise because he he come he came here uh, with a great shape, really, really great shape. Uh, I'm talking every day, every day with him. And I don't know. I expect that really. You were telling me earlier, Juan, that he's from quite a humble family. Um, by all accounts, he's a hard-working guy as well. Tell me a little bit more about. Tell us a little bit more about uh, Buitrago as as a person. No, Buitrago as a person is a really calm guy, you know. Um, his friends, uh, uh, he has a nickname, is Pocalus, like little light, because he's always like that, you know, with shiny yeah, uh, eyes. And he's a really middle class, you know, person uh, from Bogota, in the, in the center of Bogota. And I was talking with his coach, uh, Wilson, right now, and he told me, I told you, man, you know, he is like the personification of worker because he told me when we used to train in Elbino, Elbino is one of the best climbs in Bogota, he always said to him, like, Santiago, do that. And when he can't, he was like really mad, you know, and every day he was, do that and perfect. He do perfect. So he told me, man, he's like the personification of work hard man, you know, and the family like that. All your, all their, um, you know, circle of him is really like that. He's all middle class and no more. And he has uh, some racing experience here in Italy, uh, riding for He speaks for excellent Italian, yeah. really fantastic Italian. I mean, usually the Latin American riders and the Spanish riders as well, you can kind of get away with speaking Spanish and put a bit of an Italian accent on it. Yeah. But he speaks almost perfect Italian. So he rode for an Italian team also in his younger years, didn't he? And uh, John, uh, Yes, he rode. And I, I have to mention uh, Fun Chavez is the, uh, the foundation of Esteban Chavez. Uh, they are 
uh, in Colombia right now, like the big, um, I don't know, the beginning, you know, the big uh, team for the beginners in the cycling and Santiago was there in 2016. And then he, he rode in Italy and then Bahrain Victories, you know, but, uh, and you know, Bahrain Victories is a really family, Ita Italian family. So, uh, yes. Chaps, what did you make of Bahrain's tactics today? Because I saw some things on social media, people saying that, that Bahrain sending Butrago down the road, that showed that they don't have that much faith in Mikel Landa. I saw other people saying that, well, Butrago was obviously there to help Mikel Landa if he needed him later. What's the, well, what's the truth there? Well, one thing doesn't really rule out the other, does it? I mean, if he can still... Be That's there. the beauty of that tactic, isn't yeah, it? Because also the guy doesn't have to, he's always got the excuse of not working yeah, as exactly. hard as the other men in the breakaway. So that's what I make of it, that, you know, they they had that possibility and if there was to be a big attack, because it wouldn't really make sense for Landa to launch the big attack if he could see that either Carapaz or Hindley were doing just fine and, and potentially even had good helpers like Carapaz did with Rich, uh, Richie Port. So you you kind of like strike a double-edged uh, strategy that way. Juan, what do you make of Carapaz uh, at the moment in this Giro? A lot of people have noticed that he seems incredibly focused. He seems very determined. He was always a very sort of determined... Um, and he, He's not necessarily the most exuberant character. And he has that real sort of laser-like determination at, at all times. But I think it's been particularly pronounced in this Giro d'Italia. What have you made of him so far here? Well, I don't know. Um, Krapas is, like you said, is really focused on the Giro. But I think all we see is is not superior. And no one sees it, you know. So he's riding, riding a really intelligent because, for example, in Turin, he was full gas. I think he was really full gas. And he noticed in one moment that I'm not making any difference, you know. I, maybe I I am not... Uh, I'm really close to the guys, you know. So he's waiting for Marmolada, I think, is the is the is what I think, you know. Because the, the guys are really strong. It's all the same. It's three seconds, you know. Maybe Landa, you know, lost a little time, but Hinley. I, I, in fact, I think Hinley is more stronger than Carapaz in this Giro d'Italia. I don't know why, but it's the way he wrote, you know. But Carapaz is a guy, a really tough guy, you know. Uh, when I was talking with Xavi Arteche, uh, his trainer, he told me, uh, I know um, a few people stronger than Carapaz. Maybe Egan Bernal. Or is this the equal, you know? But he is a really strong guy. So to beat Carapaz, you have to be really focused, not just legs. It's, it's mentally, it's mentally. I know you know Egan very, very well, but it's always struck me that um, Carapaz has a different kind, a different flavor of, of motivation and focus to Bernal. Um, if I was, I always say that if I was a general classification rider, which I, I will never be uh, or never aspire to be, I would almost prefer riding against Bernal because I think Carapaz is someone who gives up even less easily than Bernal. I think he's even more dogged, even more determined. He doesn't leave you alone and he's very, very consistent. Whereas Bernal has very high highs and, you know, we've seen when he's had physical problems and when he feels that it's n he's not quite in his best shape, there may be... 
Um, he does let go a little bit more than Carapaz. I think Carapaz uh, is also extremely good at finding his rival's weaknesses. He has an incredible nose for seeking out the moments where where to attack. Um, almost like a, a sixth sense that he can he's, he, he sees any kind of weakness in an opponent and it's very rare apart from you, know, you mentioned Torino it's very rare that his attacks don't really go all the way I know I know um, in case of, uh, of Bernal for example uh, you mentioned it for me Bernal is a super violent rider you know cannibal like he's always fear of, of, of winning uh, fear no, uh, I don't know always want to destroy, destroy the rider behind him, you know, uh, beside him. Carapaz is, for me, I think, is a little more mathematic, you know, he's always seen that rider, Bernal, he wants to beat really in the in the race. Cause pain. Cause pain, yes, cause pain. But uh, I don't know, uh, Carapaz, uh, he's riding really well, but I think uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult to say that Carapaz is the stronger, like I told you. But well, do you think Carapaz will win this Giro? Yes, yes, yes. But slightly difference, really slight difference. And when I came here to the Giro, I thought that maybe Carapaz won the Giro two minutes. Really, really, I thought because his preparation in Ecuador was perfect, was really perfect. All the guys of Ineos doing the stuff there. And Carapaz, when he's in a good shape, uh, competes with Roglic, for example. Uh, you know, he's a really good GC guy, but, well, is what it is. And Juan, just finally, Brian and I have been speaking quite a bit over the last few days about well, our concerns for the Giro as it's viewed by Italians, because we can't help noticing that in some places that the Giro goes to, the crowds aren't huge. They're certainly not as big as they were 15 years ago. Nibali is about to retire. There aren't really any other big stars who are emerging. And yet here, when we look, and this has been a trend for the last few years at Grand Tours, you know, there's a huge Latin American media presence. Um, and the, and obviously there were some there were some very high-profile riders who came here with high hopes, Superman Lopez, um, Carapaz, and then today we've had Butragos stage win. But how keenly is this race being followed? How how intensely is this race being followed in Latin America? I have to be really honest because um, I talk about that with my friends and with the press in Colombia. And we are really, I don't know how to say, we, uh, how to say, but in Colombia, we are like a triumphalist. Like, if you win, I talk about you. If you don't win, I don't talk anymore, you know? So when Superman abandoned the Giro, the expectation and the views of the Giro d'Italia was gone, really gone. In my YouTube channel right now, all the people, the 50% of my channel right now, is Ecuadorian, Ecuadorian viewers. So it's really rare because obviously I follow uh, Carapaz from his beginnings in Colombia, but all my public, I'm from Colombia, but no one is watching the Euro. I, I should have watched today. Yes, of course. Well, uh, this is the social media. You know, I, I put a video of Santiago Chargo, 10,000 of likes is a huge, but in the past days was nothing so it's really rare because in Col you see you talk you talk uh, about that in the clients all the flags of, of Colombia and Ecuador but in Colombia no one is 
I mean no one, you know what I mean, but the the spectators are really gone. I don't know when when it, I I have to mention that too. When Bernal and Quintana Origo doesn't write the level of the spectators is like the 20% of when when they are riding. Yes. Well, Juan, we will continue to watch your YouTube channel, whatever the Colombian riders are doing. We'll be um, we'll be tuning in. Whatever the weather, whatever the results. It's been a privilege having you here today and carry on the great work both on YouTube and with El Cycling Podcast. We'll speak to you again before the end of the Giro in Verona, I'm sure, Juan. Perfect. Thank you very much, guys. And obviously, El Cycling Podcast is my family. I feel like that. So, see you in Verona. We hope something great happens there. Thank you, man. Gracias. Mucho gusto. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton. Cycling Podcast Team Car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb Pique, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is supported by our clothing sponsors, MAP. And we've got a very exciting collaboration coming up with MAP later on this year. We're going to unveil some details about that before the Tour de France. And, well, it's no secret, really, that it will be a clothing collaboration, of course. But there will be some other items as well. As I say, more on that as we approach the Tour, which starts in July, of course. Back in Catania, we met up with Jared Smith, one of the founders of MAP, and I wanted to know how the company got off the ground in the first place, and particularly how he and his business partner and co-founder, Ollie Cousins, came to work together to found MAP. Ollie and I, like, because we were working together, we'd had a couple of social trips together as well, like surfing trips and off to Bali, and so we really, I know we gelled quite well, and really, aesthetically, we really loved the same top of uh, we appreciate the same brands and architecture and we, yeah we just but we're very different we're like a yin and yang like a husband and wife i suppose <laughs> we've never really had an argument we really um, appreciate each other's strengths and like at the at the beginning i was really in charge of the sales and the operations and the financial side of things and um, well literally my my garage in the back of the house and Ollie was at home on his couch at nights doing designs and we'd, we'd come together every Wednesday at the local pub and have a steak night and that was our office and every Wednesday we'd open the samples and try them on and confirm we loved the colours and I would report back on sales. Do you, we both um, would review the, the stores we were going to stock and it was um, a very collaborative, like we were both hands-on. Ollie on the tools, he's, he's an actual qualified designer and he could use use the equipment needed to design it and once it got up and running we actually uh, agreed to use a graphic design agency it was mass current and after a few designs with with mass current it was misha who was our friend as well and he now our, he's worked with us since the beginning and he's now our chief creative officer and he's been over here with us in italy as well on a, on a trip so he's been with us for seven years so he's actually been a key part of the um the style and the aesthetic of map and I was had been racing and Ollie was just sort of starting and he wanted to wear something that the, you didn't have to wear when you're racing like with all the logos and sponsors and I was been wearing that stuff for 10 years in my own teams and I was like oh really keen to wear something a bit more fashionable and just because it wasn't there we just both um, realised like we can just make this ourselves and give it a go and that's like that's probably the Aussie way like just to give it a crack and but because we both have very high standards when we did it 
I wanted it to be the best products, the best highest, best factories in the world, which I'd been working with for my teams. And also Ollie's background, he wanted it to have the best website and the, you know, so the best designers. And so it was very curated from both of us, like to make sure it was um, really on point. But we are now around 50 staff, so that's that's. I never thought we'd have that many staff um, when we started, but um, it's heading towards 100, so that's quite nerve-wracking. But I suppose that's the other secret. We've just um, employed really, really passionate people. You can browse the whole range of MAP clothing at map.cc. That's M-A-A-P dot C-C. Guys, I'm, str- I'm struggling to come up with words to describe the well, how historic this moment is. A, re- a great reunion. Two great old friends, Chiros Emilio and... And the peacock of San Rigo, <laughs> Filippo Pozzato, obviously. And dear listener, I'm extremely happy, especially for one reason. Because I slept in Aprica around the mountains also here in Trentino you know Trentino Alto Adige marvelous region but without any access to the sea but fortunately I found Filippo as I saw as I told in the past for another person is my lighthouse <laughs> people you're you've retired as a cyclist Chiro has got a plan to retire as a journalist pretty soon yeah I saw his title for the journalist because uh, we, he don't have uh, the rider like me. And today I come uh, to the Giro only for uh, for the stay with uh, with Chiro. Yes, exactly. Because uh, he said a real truth. Uh, there are n- not riders as him any longer in the batch so far. Also, you know, I followed for a lot of years Vincenzo Nibali, but Vincenzo Nibali already knows that he's not like the peacock <laughs> maybe time for a comeback from the peacock from uh, Pavone could be an idea why not <laughs> but you should ask him you are the luck to have him 50 here kilo. So. <laughs> 50 kilo <Okay>. before <laughs> people who's going to win the Giro I don't know I well, it's possible Carapaz but uh, it's not uh, it's not too easy for uh, for, for him but uh, I think he's the favourite for me Giro uh, you know that uh, my interest is not I'm not really focused on the Giro on the pink jersey in Verona I'm really focused on the stage on Monday, the stage number 22 my stage, but if I had to choose maybe Almeida as a possible surprise, why not? I mean, he was able to stay almost with the best riders also yesterday yes, the time trial of the last day could be a good stage for him, why not? As a possible outsider 
Filippo, it's your only day in the Giro, so or we can hope to see you again tomorrow and Sunday the day for, after tomorrow. Sunday for the last uh, for the last stage because I have the good good restaurant in Verona. A very romantic city, <laughs> for Verona, the Romeo and Juliet of the Giro, I the two gentlemen of Verona. I don't know if I'm Romeo on, and uh, it can be Juliet or the opposite, <laughs> but it's a good, it's a perfect scenario for the last stage of the Giro. Well, Brian, what a moment that was. Yeah, find someone that looks at you the same way that Ciro looks at Pippo Pozzato. I thought you were going to say the way that I look at Pippo Pozzato or Ciro then. Well, then you'd have to have two wives, wouldn't you? I think that'd become an awful mess. We're pretty close to Vicenza, home of Pippo Pozzato. Of course, he's become a race organizer now. Um, organized for a gravel race, the Giro del Veneto. Last year, he's got other irons in the fire, I think. But yeah, it was quite something to behold, wasn't it? The... Well, the intensity of their embrace and almost the amorousness of their embrace earlier today. Um, Pozzato thinks that Carapaz is going to win the Giro. That consensus seems to be gaining momentum. But Jai Hindley is also impressing a lot of people. I must say that I saw him at the finish and spoke to him at the finish in Cogne and saw him today at the finish in La Varone. And he looked very tired and quite wan but that's understandable, isn't it? In the middle of the third week of the Giro d'Italia, he's still climbing incredibly well. And he's climbing, I'm not going to say aggressively, but he's certainly not wheel sucking. He's no. certainly coming to the front and he's probing and he's looking for a, a weakness. He hasn't really found the weakness he needs to distance Mikel Landa and Richard Carapaz yet. But... It was a good day for him. It was a good day again for Jai Hindley. And, well, here he is speaking after the finish today in La Varona. Yeah, um, it was a pretty hard climb. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think there was a lot of uh, tired lads out there after yesterday. This is an uh, epic stage. So, uh, yeah, I was also pretty tired, to be honest. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, it was, it was a hard climb and... Uh, ridden at a really hard tempo and uh, yeah I mean what can you do like I think the, uh, the level between uh, Carapaz and Lander is also pretty even so uh, yeah it's a uh, pretty tough fight you know it's uh, pretty hard uh, when it's not like a hilltop finish actually but yeah no I don't think it was like the most decisive stage but i um, happy to take time on some of the other guys <laughs> you know everyone says you know uh, the duo is going to be decided by minutes this that and the other but <laughs> it's not like that it's not like that anymore so every second counts definitely running out of stages to make time up but uh, yeah, I think the second last stage will really uh, decide a lot so yeah Brian, thoughts are already probably prematurely turning to the 17-kilometer time trial on the final day in Verona, and there's a little bit of, well, confusion, uncertainty about Carapaz and Hindley's relative time trialing ability. I think it's further confused by the fact that Hindley is on a new team with new equipment this year, and that could make quite a significant difference. Also, it's the last time trial is the final day time trial in the Grand Tour and as we always say it's one of the biggest cliches in Grand Tours that freshness is more important than specific aptitude in those situations yeah I mean 
When you see how ambitious he's um, he's come into this Giro, I find it very hard to believe that he hasn't either looked at the at the one in Verona, the the one that goes across to Torricelli, which I think fits him way better than the one where he lost out to Telgenhard in the Giro. The last time he won, he rode a very decisive time trial. But I mean, I know there's still just three seconds, but I I find it very hard to imagine that that will be the case. Also, once there are at the you know at the start of the last time trial i think i think that's going to happen something on the second last day and i already have a pretty good idea of how i foresee that scenario and I'm, i think we're in Go for on. a good bike race well they still have a relatively strong team um next to them both of them but the way i'm seeing every time that Carapaz is is doing decisive moves or where he's really trying to rip it up richie portis is the mvp he's really his He's that one guy that, in my opinion, that can make a difference on the Marmolada for him, which is the, you know basically the, the last decisive climb of this Giro. And if he really is at the same level that he is now, and I have no reason to believe that he isn't, I think that's going to be where Carapaz, unless Carapaz sees any weakness before or the other way around, unless Hindley notices that Carapaz has a bad day, I think it will be down to how much damage can uh, Richie Port mainly Richie Port. I mean, they're going to do some work before that, Timinias, but how much damage can they put into Hindley? And still, whatever damage you put into anyone on that stage will be felt the day after when they're riding the time trial. But I really think that Port will be absolute key to to Carapaz being able to have a comfortable enough uh, buffer for the, for the time trial in Verona. Well, Brian, we know, we heard in Budapest at the start of this Giro that it is due to be, we think it's going to be Richie Port's final Grand Tour in a very long and illustrious career. At the other end of the experience spectrum is Ben Chulet, who is riding his first Grand Tour for Ineos Grenadiers here at the Giro and was pretty nifty today on the penultimate climb. He did an important job. I spoke to both Richie and Ben at the finish today in Lavarone. I mean, haven't really seen that in a Grand Tour the last week. Everyone's so close, but it's good for TV, I guess. But, uh, you know, we've still got some hard days to come. A little bit of reprieve tomorrow for, for me, but, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen on a stage like tomorrow. We all believe in Richard. Um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a great leader. So, you know, I think that makes it all that easier to, to go um, all in for him. Richie, um, Richard, um, Richard looks incredibly focused, um, quite serious as well. I mean, what's the impression he's giving you guys in the team at the moment? I mean, yeah, he's he's super calm. Um, you know, he's off the bike. He's as professional as anybody I've ever seen, and you know, he wants this uh, probably more than anybody else. So, you know, it's just it's great to have him around, and uh, morale's good within the team, and. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, the next few days we can we can uh, finish the job off for him. The stage that goes into Slovenia, how much have you thought and spoken about that? And should we expect big differences that day? Look, I mean, yeah, for sure. It's a, that's a super hard climb and uh, you know, quite technical downhill. But, uh, you know, I think even tomorrow he just never know what's going to happen in the Giro. Well, Ben, you're in the thick of the action out there. You've got a really important job to do on that, well, particularly on that first big climb today. How did you feel, first of all? Yeah, of course, we're coming into the back end of the race. I think uh, everyone's starting to feel the fatigue a bit, especially after some some hard stages. But I've been uh, really looking, been enjoying the race in here and, uh, yeah, felt pretty good today. But, uh, of course, I think everyone's hurting. But, uh, yeah, felt good today and uh, it's good to see another strong team performance. 
uh, yeah, counting down the days now, but uh, we've got a fight on our hands. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, of course, there's, I guess you could say it's pressure, but I'm enjoying it, so it doesn't, it's not a negative pressure in any way, shape or form. But So, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying being here, and uh, yeah, it's super tough racing, but I think we're getting the best out of it. And uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying working for Richard, and uh, yeah, we'll keep fighting to the end. So Richard came in today with Jai, Hindley and Lander again. There's just nothing between them. But what was sort of spoken about this morning in the in the briefing? What was the plan this morning? Uh, I think we had to see what was going to happen, of course. There's three key strong contenders that are all going to fight for the pink jersey. So I think, uh, like, like you said again today, you know, there's not a lot in between them. So, but, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of confidence in Richie and Richard. And, uh, yeah, we're going to give it our all for him. Well, Brian, I think there are three more significant opportunities, aren't there? We heard Richie Port say there that tomorrow's stage to Televisor could even or surprise a few people. There is the little, very steep climb of Muro di Cadel Poggio with 50 kilometers to go, but personally, I can't really see. I mean, there have been days in this Giro d'Italia when it's looked as though the main contenders have been reluctant, even on huge alpine passes, to, to really go into battle so I think on a on a climb like that just a, a couple of kilometers long 50 kilometers from the finish I think we're looking ahead we're looking further ahead to the following day when the Giro goes into Slovenia we heard Richie Port say there that it was going to be a very very important stage a climb that a lot of the field won't know the final climb that day the uh, Kolovrat in Slovenia sorry it's not the final climb the penultimate climb the final climb is the Santuario di Castelmonte and then, of course, on Saturday, we have the big Dolomite Tapone. It'll be a big showdown in the Dolomites. Um, even if there was something will happen before that in the GC, they, they, they're just they're so close at the moment. So I think they're also thinking amongst each other that launching a big attack has an imminent risk of hitting you in the face if you actually don't get away and having, you know, being counterattacks or, you know, so if it'll be like a mano a mano, it's it's hard to imagine that it'll be the the big showdown until we actually hit that Dolomite stage. That's that's my guess, anyways. I know the the stage to Slovenia is definitely hard, and it's at the end, it's you know close to being at the end of the race. But when you look at that the stage, the big Dolomite stage, that's that's also from the from Vinny and from RCS. They designed Vinny, it. He was, uh, yeah, he was just sitting here next to us. But yeah, speaking you were, at you a very you rear wigging, weren't you? <laughs> no, I was just minding my own business and, and having my compare. What did he? Here's a question for what did Maravigny make of the wine stage yesterday, Brian? Yeah, but he he actually mentioned what you mentioned as well, and and oh, he did, I, did normally he? I would be. I would have strong opinions about that if I was really keen on drinking a lot of wine from Valtellina, which is definitely not the case. But he also mentioned, and he mentioned it loud enough so I can you know, refer to it here, he also wondered why there was not a single bottle in sight. And that, that obviously also meant where he was sitting, he's obviously not sitting in the press room. He has every day here at the Quartier Tapa, which is the race headquarters, he has his own little office. And uh, there obviously weren't any bottles there either. Um, Matthew van der Poel has been offending everyone here in Italy with well, committing various heresies against Italian cuisine or threatening to on social media. I think the other day he was he was threatening to put pineapple on, on his pizza, maybe he even did that. Um, he, he's also proving to be quite an anarchic influence in this race, isn't he? Particularly with his climbing. I saw some people in reaction to his attacks today, Brian, 
suggests that his his eyes may have been open to his potential as a climber and as a Grand Tour rider. I think that's a little uh, bit hasty, isn't yeah. it? No, it's not hasty. It's just flat out wrong. Sorry. <laughs> it's not even hasty. No, just let it go. <laughs> okay. Okay. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast. You can get 25% off at scienceinsport.com with the code SISCP25. You can also win one of Egan Bernal's pink jerseys from last year's Giro d'Italia. There's a competition on the scienceinsport.com website now. And there's also quite a lot of content if you're interested in finding out how to fuel for your sport, such as which gel should you be taking and when should you take it, recovery powders and the importance of hydration are also explained in really quite interesting detail. So go to scienceinsport.com and you can find out a lot more about the range of energy products that they sell. Okay, hi, I'm Stefania. I'm um, I'm working at the tourist board Alpe Cimbra in Trentino. This is an area in the Alps, Alpe, and uh, Cimbra is uh, the meaning is the language we speak in this uh, special area. The Cimbrian language is a minority in Trentino and also in Italy. It's uh, an old German language starting from the medieval period. So German people today could understand what we are saying but it, it's, it's also a little bit difficult and how many people sp- still speak Cimbro both in the world and in Lavarone or close to Lavarone so more or less uh, 800 people so not in the all. world uh, yes uh, the most of these people are uh, living in Luzerne near Lavarone, where we are today. In Luzerna are uh, living uh, 300 people. And it's uh, very important for us to speak this language. For example, in our magazine, in, in the Trentino area, once a week, there are some articles in the Simbra language. Also, the children here at school also now speak one or two hours uh, per week uh, with a Simbrian teacher. So we hope this language will remain in, uh, in the culture of this area. But we also know that's also a little bit difficult because, you know, the numbers, I, I told you the numbers. Why did it survive? here and not in other places? Because there were less communication, sure. Then uh, from the beginning of last century, the government uh, in Austria and then after the First World War, the government in Italy decided to, to protect this, uh, this language, this culture. And Stefania, I'm a, I guess that you speak Cimbro as well. Uh, it's not my mother language, but uh, I can say you Bolket at Lavarone. And, uh, well, is that welcome to welcome. La Verona? Yes, it's very similar to German, uh, willkommen, or also a little bit to English, welcome. Well, Brian, my mountain obsession was causing you some mirth today, and, well, true to form, true to character, I slipped off just after the finish, and I had a lovely chat there with Stefania Schkir. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. It's a Cimbrian name. We heard there about the Cimbrian language. One of the smallest linguistic minorities in Europe, about 800 speakers. Do you speak any Cimbrian, Brian? Not a, not a word. No? 
Can you, but, can you teach me some? Uh, no, I can't. I would have to revise what Stefania taught me earlier. But fascinating that is. I remember Richard Moore and I went off in search of a Cimbrian minority last year. There are, there are dotted around the north um, east of Italy, but this is the biggest one, the biggest enclave of surviving speakers. It's still not very big, only about 300, but we did come close to one last year on the Giro, but we, we, we drew blanks. Um, I remember going into uh, some kind of mountain mountain refugio and asking around if anyone spoke any Chimbro. And no. were you the only person there, or did they just not want to talk to you? No, but quite curious that it should exist up here in a real sort of linguistic island. We came relatively close today, but not quite into the sort of bona fide German-speaking parts of the north of Italy. We're not really going to the Sud Tyrol this year, which is where German is very much the first language. And um, well, last year in the Dolomites, we we learned some Ladin as well, um, which is a different linguistic minority up in Kanadze. I remember learning a few words of Ladin. Don't ask me what they are now, but these are the the very remote reaches, extremities of Italy that the Giro takes you to, um, aren't they, Brian? You wanted me to go and to, to visit the museum in I think it was in Luzerne. Um, one of the communes, one of the villages near here, the hamlets near here, and and um, and fraternised with the local taxidermy. There was some stuffed bears, some stuffed wolves in there. Unfortunately, I didn't get time to do any of that. I kind of feel maybe if, on if my next visit, if you were moving houses and you were hiring an interior decorator, they should basically go there and and copy everything. It, it felt right, like your place, you know, just dark brown. Dangerous, Thanks, dangerous animals. Don't live in East Germany for nothing. Brian, last night, well, we mentioned local cuisine, didn't we? We mentioned the pizzoccheri. I went for the pizzoccheri and I also went and regretted going for the local antipasto, which was, I'm going to have to revise the pronunciation of this as well. Um, it was lo chat, lo chat, which was deep fried cheese in effect. Um, with a side of salami, bearing in mind that I don't usually eat meat, and yeah, not a culinary experience that I will be repeating any point soon. But I love that you're always flying the mountain flag, anyways. <laughs> even if you know, if there's always issues when we get here. You know, we we either get lost in the woods, or the food is strange, or the wine is a bit off. But I, you know, I have to say, your loyalty to to the mountains of Italy, the various parts of them, is is quite impressive. One day, Brian, I'm just going to get out of the car and I'm just going to disappear into the forest. I thought that more than once during this past week. Brian, I mentioned Richard earlier and our hunt for some Cimbrian speakers last year. This brings us to today's Giro del Buffalo. Someone noted on social media today or um, earlier today that it was the anniversary of what they were calling George Bennett Day. Now, that was the the famous stage won by Chris Froome, which effectively won him the 2018 Giro d'Italia. And, well, when George Bennett learned what had happened further up the road, up the mountain, um, he was, shall we say, quite surprised Richard and George Bennett always had a very good relationship. In fact, George sent us a very kind message um, when he learned of Richard's passing. And George was, I think, a multiple winner of our Peddler de Charme competition. And in fact, here is Richard awarding George his Peddler de Charme jersey earlier in that 2018 Giro d'Italia. And don't forget, you can vote for this year's Peddler de Charme. Still very much up for grabs. Some good nominations already. Between now and when we reach Verona at the weekend.
Il giro del bufalo. Remembering Richard Moore. Listeners voted your peddler de charme for week three. Did they? Of uh, for the cycle podcast. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Thank you very much. It even looks like it's my size. It, it, it should be your size. I'm not sure that it's ironed very well, but uh, can I get a quick picture? Yeah, of, of you course. Holding it up? I like so that. We did one this... a week, so you're our week three. Thank you very much. I think, I think it's the low level swearing as well as the attacking <laughs> riding. You know. Perfect. Stoked. Um, George, we saw you attacking again yesterday. You are a rider who, you know, even though you're placed Highland GC, you do like to have a go, don't you? Yeah, I th- it's probably uh, to my own demise at, at times. It definitely has been the last few days. And it probably started... Uh, well, it's probably more from, from having the, the mechanical and the, and the Zonkalon being behind and then having to play catch-up cycling, you know? And it happened the day Yatesy won. Um... And I saw Frumi had dropped and I hit out and then, you know, it was a really bad move in hindsight and, and I don't know what I was thinking. And the same again yesterday, you know, I didn't, it wasn't that I premeditated or I thought, I just found myself attacking and I look back when I'm watching the bus and go, shit, yeah, then when they kicked over top of me, I had nothing left. So I think it's when you get sort of uh, forced into, into desperate, you know, it's sort of like a, it, it's a bit desperate and uh, so today I'm... I'm reining it in and just letting the course do the damage and, and not feel like I'm the one that has to try to drop people and let, let people drop themselves. And I even remember in Perigood stage last year at the Tour, you were the first guy to attack and, and really set, yeah. set, set up all the carnage that followed. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just... It's not something I plan on doing or I think, oh, I'm going to attack there. It's, I just see, like, guys slow down, I feel like, okay, and then I go and then I think, shit, maybe it's from early days racing in France or maybe it's just uh, but it's a difficult balance isn't it because yeah. you know you've got your overall aspirations but also presumably you'd like to win a win a stage yeah exactly and uh, yeah I think um, I just have to back myself maybe a bit more and, and really back that, that it will be hard enough in the final to force those gaps and, and, and wait and I'm hoping today that's the case I mean on, on paper it's, it's one of the hardest stages I've ever done so I hope it plays out that way, and, and I think that yesterday they the guys smelt blood with with Yatesy, and I, I I personally think he's he's still the strongest guy, and, and I think he uh, he's a class above still, but uh, for sure yesterday gave gave people a bit of hope, and uh, he didn't really crack or have a really bad day, he just lost a bit, you know, in that in that crazy final. But um, are you happy though with how you are two days or three days from Rome? No, no, not at all. I mean, it's 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 been a frustrating three weeks for me. It's not that anything, you know, the, the body's still good. I'm happy with with how I how I feel physically, um, but things haven't really gone my way, and and that's partly my own, own fault and partly things sort of beyond my control. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping to put it right in the next two days. I mean. If there's ever been a stage, well, Brian, some charming interviewing there from Richard you know, Moore. They're, they're great stages. We've seen some charming pedaling today really from Santiago so and Trago. The next few months, and there's no doubt more to come tomorrow. We go to Treviso. We're on the Strada del Prosecco at some point tomorrow. You a big fan of 
Prosecco, any kind of... I was, about, I was about to say that the road, you know, it's all downhill from here because it's basically one big descent all the way down to Treviso. Yeah, I don't mind Prosecco. I'm not a... I'm not a snob in, in at least not in that respect when it comes to wine, and it's uh, it's a really pleasant part of Italy, also where it's produced. And I know that you have done uh, work experience there at a winery as a cellar boy, as you were, and uh, I look forward to hearing more about that tomorrow. I look forward to any corks that are popped tomorrow being popped safely, following the current Giro guidelines put in place by Mauro Vegni a few days ago. Any t- any talk of that when um, when you were earwigging just a while ago, Brian? No, I know. not. Uh, I think, well, they basically solved the problem, didn't they? They're, they're keeping it very safe for any winner now throwing bottles around at the podium. Well, Brian, that's it from us this evening. Buonasera a tutti and a domani. Buonasera, grazie. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Byrne. Yeah.